that person for the next 15 to 20 seconds in the English language. Go. Okay, now, hang on, you're going to continue in just a moment. Now I want you to continue the conversation, you ready? Continue the conversation in American Sign Language, go. Okay, stop right there. How many of you are able to do that? I know you folks down here should. Okay, now I want you to continue the conversation in Spanish. Go. Okay, stop. How many of you were able to do that? Okay, continue the conversation in French. Okay, stop. How many of you are able to do that? Okay, now you have your choice of two languages. Ready? Continue the conversation either in Pig Latin or Romulan. Go. Okay, how many of you were able to do Pig Latin? <laughs> how many were able to do Romulan? Romulan is, an, is a galactic language from Star Trek. Now, in whatever language you want to use, tell your new friend you're glad you met them. Would you do that? Thanks for putting up with me. We're going to have some fun this morning.
So, if this was a language you knew, then it came natural. If it wasn't natural, then you, and you were talking to someone who perhaps that was a natural language for them, you had to listen carefully. You couldn't really understand what they're saying. And even if you're trying to figure out some of the words, you had to process it through here and try to figure it out before it could really get into here. Changing languages is a very difficult task, as you discovered this morning. So did Joey from this episode of Friends when he had to go for an audition and learn to speak French before he got there. This is how it turned out. All right, well, it seems pretty simple. Your first line is, my name is Claude. So just repeat after me. Je m'appelle Claude. Je de coupe plow. <laughs> Let's, just, let's try it again. Okay. Je m'appelle Claude. Je plie blue. <laughs> huh. It's not quite what I'm saying. Really? Sounds exactly the same to me. It does? Really? Yeah. All right, let's just try it again. Okay. Really listen. Got it. Je m'appelle Claude. Je te flou flie. <laughs> Oh, mon Dieu. Oh, de fouf. Je m'appelle Claude. Je de comme blue. No! Okay, maybe if we just break it down. Okay, let's try it one syllable at a time. Okay, so repeat after me. Je. Je. Ma. Ma. Pel. Pel. Great. Okay, faster. Je. Je. Ma. Ma. Pel. Pel. Je m'appelle. Mi poupou. <laughs> All of us have a mother language. We learned that growing up. We learned to put together complex sentences and never really knew as we were growing up what a noun or a pronoun would be and what an adjective is or what syntax is or a preposition. Some of you have even taken English courses and you still don't know what those are. But we have just learned because it has come natural to us. But when you start to learn a new language, then you need to learn new words, new structure, new syntax new rules of how it all comes together to help you to get it in here so that eventually it gets in here and becomes natural. So if, if you are not a native speaking English and you've come from another country, you have to learn all these technical rules for learning English. You know, you, you know some of these, for instance, and maybe you can end this for me, I before E except after C. Some of you go, Really? I didn't know that. So Bishop N.T. Wright reminds us that when we are growing up, we have also learned a language of behavior. That our community, the family, 
the close friends, help demonstrate and shape to us, shape us into a language of behavior. If you were surrounded by people who always said, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, then it just seems unnatural for you to hear other people not respond in that manner. If you grew up in a neighborhood or in a family where when you argued you got really loud and vocal, then it is just part of your behavioral pattern. It is the language of behavior you speak. If you grew up in a family where you solved conflict by smacking each other around, then it just is part of the language you learn. If you grew up in a place where everyone has to be kind, it seems foreign to you that others would actually solve their problems by yelling at each other. And some of you have even grown up in families where confrontation is not allowed. You cannot confront anybody about issues. And so that is the behavior, the language of behavior you use. So if you're going to change that language of behavior You need to begin to learn the rules. And as you learn the rules, it starts here because there has to be a change of our thinking and eventually it goes into our heart and it becomes natural. So Paul the Apostle, as we've been looking, has entered into this very cosmopolitan city of Thessalonica. They have their own language of behavior. And among the things that are foremost in their language of behavior are multiple sex partners, And also, multiple gods and idols they worship. So Paul shows up and he says to them, I want to introduce to you you the only true God. And he proved his grace, he proved his truth, he proved his love by saying that he would die and he would rise again, which he did, and there were over 500 witnesses. And in doing so, he promises that he paid for our sins, the things that kept us separated from this God, And that because he now has died for us, he will forgive us for our sins. And that he counts us as his bride and and he is our groom. And he's going to return and come back to get us so that we can be with him forever. And when he returns, he's going to establish this wonderful new kingdom, this, this, this heaven on earth. And all that he designed from us for the very beginning in that garden, we now get. And amazingly, as they listened, even with the threat of death, of loss of job or possessions or disbarment from their families. They said, we want to put our faith in Jesus. And so Paul begins to explain that if they're to do that, that the way that the kingdom of God functions in a total different behavioral language, that the way that we will be in that time when Jesus returns is the way that we begin living now. And it will start here because we've got to think differently, but eventually it will become a natural language. But getting there is difficult. And so he begins first, and we'll talk about it this week and next week, what are those things that we now need to see differently and how do we communicate if we are followers of Jesus? And so let me ask you, how many in this place will say you're followers of Jesus? then this is the language of behavior he said you must live if you're expecting Jesus Christ to return and fulfill everything he said he's going to do. And, and I want to just say to you that if you're new here today and want to know more about what we're talking about, just go online and, and download the podcast and you'll get all we've talked about up to this point on this whole entire series. So the first thing that he talks to them about is very unnerving for them, very unsettling for us. And I want to explain that to you this morning. I got accosted 
several years ago at Barnes & Noble. I was standing at the magazine rack, and a guy walked up to me, and he said, Hey, you're the dude on TV. I said, well, probably am. And usually when people say that, and they do that, because, you know, we've been on TV. Fully Alive's been on for longer than I've been here, but I've been here for 15 years. And, and so people see the program. And generally they'll stop me and say, hey, you're the guy on TV, and we really like the program, or we watch it before we go to Mass, or, hey, really like that story. i got a story for you that you could share. And, and so we had this, this really nice conversation. So I was expecting that would be the case. And he, he said, you're the guy on TV. And I said, well, yeah, I am. He said, I don't like what you say. I said, well, you don't have to. And he said, you're just like one of those blankety-blank preachers. And then he moved closer, got real close to my face, and began to berate me loudly in Barnes & Noble. My wife would not rescue me. She stood over to the side. (laughs) So I tried to make my way to the whole section of of books on self-defense, but I never got there. Finally, I was able to break away, and I I thought about that later, and and here's what my thinking is. I don't blame him. I don't blame blame him for that disposition, because today in this culture, and because of the past, those who are in spiritual leadership, religious leadership, are to be the ones who bring peace and comfort and protection and compassion and caring. And it seems like the headlines in these last couple of decades are that we as clergy are the perpetrators of molestation of children. And then we hide it. Or that we sell blessings from God for $100 pledges. That we have not become what God had designed for us to be. That, that while the clergy are declaring and railing against sexual sins, they themselves are involved in their own affairs. And it just, it just makes sense that people would say, we don't trust you anymore. It used to be when the author of Hebrews wrote that you do not entertain an accusation against an elder or ruler in the church without two or three witnesses, and it was followed, it has now changed that you really don't believe a spiritual leader unless they have two or three witnesses. And so where does that leave us in learning this new language when Paul says this? And here's what he says in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 12. Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. So do we see that verse and just say, okay, I've got to jettison that because I really don't want to deal with that and I don't trust any of those leaders? Do we just jettison it or do we have a problem because if we are going to speak the behavior of those who are waiting for Jesus, we've got to deal with this issue. And so we've come to this spot that we've got to look at those religious leaders and say, what do we do with these people? if we're going to live out this language. And here's what Paul says. If you're going to live out the language, you must respect those in leadership. So let me set up the context of this. I want to tell you that I got ordained last Thursday. You said, well, I thought you had already been ordained. I did, and this is my second ordination. 
My first ordination took several years of study and then several years of mentorship. And then the, the elders of that, that region then had to say, is there proof of this man's calling and his character? And then if there is, then they took me aside, laid hands on me in a public celebration and said, we, we now declare an anointing over you. So I went through all of that years back. This one on Thursday took me two and a half minutes. I went online and asked to be ordained. And you can do this too. So I went on, and I won't tell you the name of the church. It's not a mainline church. But I received an ordination on Thursday in two and a half minutes. I didn't use my real name. I used my middle name and my, my mom's maiden name. And so here's what the email said. This, is, this notice hereby confirms that Dwayne Cook, my middle name, my mom's maiden name, 8150 Oliver Road, wasn't going to use my address. <laughs> so I used the church's address. Erie PA 16509 USA is an ordained member of the clergy of the church of date of ordination, August 5th, 2010, signed by the president of that church. The Church of is happy to inform you that your ordination request has been reviewed and approved and you are now officially ordained clergy member. We are now offering our members ordination certificates, clergy wallet ID cards, blank certificates for various ceremonies, and the official officiates manual, which contains lots of useful information for new clergy members, and many clergy members find these items useful when performing religious services, and then it tells me the prices. You are now entitled to all privileges and courtesies normally afforded to ordained members of the clergy. The record of your ordination has been entered into the official permanent records of the church. Ordinations by this church are for life and are awarded completely free without monetary charge. As an ordained member of the clergy, you are hereby authorized by the church to officiate religious rites and ceremonies, including marriage, baby naming, funeral services, invocations, and holiday ceremonies as permitted and subject to the laws and regulations of your country, state, and municipality. It's important, therefore, you, before you officiate any civil ceremonies such as marriages, you know and comply with all the laws governing your locality. I have another ordination. Well, actually, it's not me. But Dwayne does. I will resign on Monday. But I want you to understand how simple that was. How simple it would be for you. But in Paul the Apostle's view, it was never that simple. Paul is making very clear that anointed leadership should be honored. And let me define anointed for you. Anointed is a calling to a specific task with divine ability to complete that task and the authority in the spiritual realm to function to complete that task. He says, take anointed leaders and I want you to honor them. The word honor in this passage actually means to know fully and to appreciate the true worth. Not just, hey, he's the guy that stands behind that pulpit thing and speaks, or I had, I had dinner with a, with a guy who wears a collar, and so I, I know him. No, no, no. He, what it's saying is, I want you to understand the intricacies of God's plan for his church with this leadership. I want you to understand how valuable that leadership is and how well they do in leading has a direct effect on how you mature and grow in this relationship with God and especially as community. So Paul writes to these people in Thessalonica and see the leaders that were there only had a brief time to be trained by Paul. 
He was only there a short time and had to leave. But they were not novices. In fact, in writing to his friend Timothy, he declares what it must be for a person who was moving into spiritual leadership, the very beginning qualifications for that man's character. This is how he or she should be. This is the character of this person, and it's the beginning stages. I want you to hear what Paul wrote to Timothy, 1 Timothy 3. This is a trustworthy saying. If someone aspires to be an elder, he desires an honorable position. So an elder must be a man whose life is above reproach. He must be faithful to his wife. He must exercise self-control, live wisely, and have a good reputation. He must enjoy having guests in his home, and he must be able to teach. He must not be a heavy drinker or be violent. He must be gentle, not quarrelsome, and not love money. He must manage his own family well, having children who respect and obey him. For if a man cannot manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? An elder must not be a new believer because he might become proud and the devil would cause him to fall. Also, people outside the church must speak well of him so that he will not be disgraced and fall into the devil's trap. Paul says the beginning qualifications for someone in leadership in the community of faith must have true character, must have right character. So in the tradition that I'm familiar with, the elders gather around a person like that and they say, has he proven his character? Has anybody been watching? Then and only then will we lay hands on him and declare that this is God's person in leadership. But it doesn't stop with that. Not only should there be character, he said, I also want you to prove their call. It is Jesus sitting with Peter after Peter had fallen and Jesus is on the, on the lake shore. And he's feeding Peter. And he says to him, do you love me? And Peter says, you know I love you. And Jesus says, feed my lambs. Jesus says to him again, do you love me? He says, you know I love you. He says, take care of my sheep. Protect them. And then Jesus asks him again, do you really love me? He says, you know I love you. He says, then feed my sheep. When it comes to leadership that God has appointed and anointed for his church, they must have a strong work ethic tied to their call. They do more than just stand before a group of people on a Sunday morning. They ought to do more than just go play golf with a couple guys on Friday. Their very lives must be intertwined in the lives of those they are responsible for. They must understand their pains. They must understand their victories. They must walk with them through all their difficult circumstances. And they must be available 24 hours a day, seven days a week to walk with that flock and to protect those people. Love is hard work. And it must be proven in that life. So if it is true that the leaders that lead the community of faith must have true character, right character, and must have a strong work ethic, then who holds them responsible? And you see, that is important. There must be accountability. 
For Paul says in this, this passage, these are those that are over you in the Lord. And some of us say, well, that means just, they just got us like this. No, 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 no. That is to declare that there is within the organism of the church a structure so that you will know who those people are accountable to. And I want to tell you and, and you that are watching on television right now, if you're connected to a community of faith and the person who's leading you has no one to whom they are accountable, get out of there. Because we're not made to walk without accountability. We've got to have accountability because we all have blind spots. And so there is this accountability that says, you who are leading, how is your character? How is your calling? Are you working hard? Because if you're not, we're yanking you out of there because you'll destroy the community of faith. But even more significant is the fact that the Scripture makes very clear that the shepherd, the leader, will stand before God himself and he will say, what did you do with my sheep? Because that will be the final judgment. So if that is the case, then the leader must be very cognizant of that so that everything they do will, be ful- will fulfill what God designed. And part of that is this. They must lovingly confront. And this is the tough part. Because many times when when leaders confront, people say, hey, that's none of your business. You don't don't have to deal with that. Who are you to speak? I got to tell you, if you walk in the community of faith, there is accountability and there is confrontation. Pastor Jason and I were just talking today, and he he and some other guys were just talking about the fact that there's a pastor here in the United States who got picked up for DUI. He was just smashed. He was just drunk out of his mind. The papers picked up on it and, and, and reported it. He, re, he went back to his church the next Sunday, and, and the essence of the story, as I, I remember being told, is this. He stood before his congregation and said, you probably all have heard what has happened, and you've read the papers, and they all said yes. He said, well, in that matter of what happened to me, I just want to let you know this morning that's none of your business. And I'm going to continue preaching the gospel of Jesus. And the congregation stood and applauded him. See, that's wrong. All of us are accountable. All of us have to have people who speak into our lives and point us the right direction. That, that word that is used to admonish that Paul uses means to apply correction. So I had a couple guys in my car this week, and I was driving over by the mall on, on Edinburgh Road. And suddenly, a car coming head-on, our direction, swerved into our lane and came right at me. And finally swerved back over. Do you know what he was doing? Texting. I'm not even going to tell you what I wanted to do with his phone. To correct simply means this, that the leader who is to protect you wants to move you back in the right lane when you swerve out so that you don't destroy others or yourself in the process. And Paul says, for that reason, you must respect that leader. What does that mean? Well, the author of Hebrews makes it even more clear when he writes these words in Hebrews thirteen seventeen, And he says this, Be responsive to your pastoral leaders and listen to their counsel. They are alert to the condition of your lives and work under the strict supervision of God. Contribute to the joy of their leadership, not its drudgery. Why would you want to make things harder for them? 
Understand that these are not those who have decided that they're just going to go ahead and be pastors or leaders or whatever, and they've just done their own thing. And there is no accountability, and there is no test of character, and there is no proof of, of long work in making this, this body better. It's not, those aren't the people he's dealing with here. He's saying those who meet this test... What you need to do is that appointed leaders should be held in highest regard. And so I started studying this this week, this highest regard, and it just blew me away. Because the wording there actually means this, beyond all measure. Wholehearted response. You say, well, you're a pastor and you're telling us to honor you. Well, I'm a pastor and I'm trying to keep myself out of this, but I'm going to tell you what the scripture says. Hold in highest regard. And let me tell you why. It is not a matter of taking those who are in leadership and putting them on a pedestal. Don't ever do that. It is not to believe that they are perfect because they are not. But what he is saying here is so vitally important to the health of the body because he said the highest regard and their calling must be tied together because trying to fulfill a calling with the highest regard not being attached to that is debilitating. And if that leader can feel the highest regard, it makes them a better leader, therefore affecting the community of faith and making them better followers of Jesus. At this moment, there is a migration of pastors in the United States leaving the ministry faster than any time in history, right now. It is because of the criticism and because of the power plays within the church. And, and I understand, I have leaders over me that, I've, that, that this is speaking to me about. And you will look, and I will look, and you put, you put a thousand people in an auditorium, and you put one person in front of them, and they suggest certain things, you're going to have a thousand opinions as how that should operate, how that should function. I don't agree how he does that. I, I, I do the same thing. I don't think, that's, that's not, I could do that so much better. But the issue is this. You weren't placed in that position, and you're not responsible to God for the final condition. I remember Tony Campalo, a sociologist who lives in Philadelphia, and, and he said that, that they, they, they've been part of an inner-city church for years that's predominantly African-American. And, and um, he can recall that, that when the elder pastor retired, they went out looking for a new pastor. Because the one that was retiring was great. And they said, get us a great pastor. And so they showed up with this younger fella who wasn't as polished and just didn't seem as good as the one that was there before. And they said, we thought you were going to get us a great pastor. And the eldership said, oh, we're going to make him a great pastor. That is what high regard does. We go back to that passage in Hebrews to understand that those in spiritual leadership are directly responsible to God under the strict supervision of God. And then he says, here's what you need to do. Contribute to the joy. And I want to thank you for all of you in this place that do that for the leadership in this church. You contribute to the joy. It makes it easier to function. To contribute to the joy simply means this, that you recognize the value of the work that you, that you honor the position and you understand the anointing and you encourage. And even when you disagree, you say, let's walk this thing together 
so that we don't feel that, that there is opposition saying you'll never amount to much or you're just not as good. I've had people tell me that I'm not as good as the former pastors. They're probably right. But that still doesn't mean you can't hold me in high regard. You've got to. And it makes it much easier when we do that for people who are in leadership so that they will be able to face the criticism that comes their way and the spiritual fight that they fight every day because the enemy wants to wipe them out. And don't you know that right now with all the clergy leaving the ministry, Satan is very happy because it weakens the church. And Paul says, work this thing out so that you are in peace in the process. Because here's what the leader wants to do for you. He wants you to join the community of peace or the community dance. I was raised in a family that was in a holiness movement, and so we were not allowed to dance when I was growing up. So I didn't learn to dance. In fact, I was one of those people that had to take a note to gym class. And it was to excuse me from the evils of square dancing. Because we all know that a do do will lead to orgies, and that's just that's a horrible thing. So I, I, I couldn't dance. So several years ago, Pam and I were at a wedding reception, and they were dancing, and it was a great celebration. It was just joyous. And my daughter was, I think she was in the wedding party at that time, and, and she, she was dancing and having a great time. And she walked over and said, Dad, dance with me. I said, oh, honey, I don't know how to dance. And then she motivated me because under her breath, she mumbled something about a stick in the mud and, and something about old fogey. I don't know what fogey means, but I know what old means. So I got up, and we danced. Probably didn't look very pretty, but we danced. And I got in the celebration, and it was incredible. It was so much fun. Some of us in this place have come, and we've sat outside the reception. We, we haven't really jumped into the dance of the community. Because either we don't know how or we were taught, taught that if you get into that thing, that it will be destructive for you. I want to encourage you today that if we are going to learn the language of behavior of those who are waiting for Jesus, we have got to be in the community dance. And so Paul explains what that is. And so he says to them in 1 Thessalonians 5.14, these words. And we urge you, brothers... Warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, and be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. As part of the community of faith, let me just be as candid as I can be. When you see someone who is idle, and the word actually means this, disorderly in conduct. Whenever you see someone who's disorderly in conduct and they're not speaking in the language of behavior that is meant for those who follow Jesus, you cannot just ignore it and say it's none of your business. We walk in community together. That must be confronted. I remember a time a friend of mine came to me and he said, I've been praying for you and I know the issues you're dealing with. And this was back in Oregon. He said, he said, uh, I want to tell you that as I was praying for you, I sense that God is saying that you have been critical of your boss, and as long as you're doing that, he will not bless you and you will not move any further. Wow. He was right. And I had to process through that. And the moment I did that, I processed through it, God's blessings returned to my life. So I want to encourage you that we as a church family must warn those who are disorderly. We've got to do that. But for that to happen, 
We have to have a relationship. We've got to be spending time together. If a stranger walks up to you and says, oh, you're an ungodly sinner, you go, oh, thank you. Could you elaborate? No. But if a friend who you've been praying with, who you've been dealing with, who you're in a small group with says, hey, I've been watching how you're treating your wife, mister, and I think we need to deal with this. It is God's way of cleaning us up. The community of faith is not some gathering on Sunday morning for an hour and a half. It is a community that that communicates with each other throughout the day and the weeks and the months as we're waiting for Jesus to return. Paul also said this, I want you to encourage the discouraged. It's one of my favorite stories. It happened. It's true. A guy got up before people in a worship celebration like this, and he was going to sing a solo. And it was just, it was early morning, and he was having struggles, and he couldn't remember the words or really get the notes right. And he was stumbling and getting ready to stop when somebody in the pew picked up the hymnal and turned to the hymn that he was singing and began to sing it with him. And somebody else caught on, and about the, like the third verse, the entire congregation was singing and he was he was picking up the, the the words and the music and he was starting to get his courage back and finally they got to the fourth verse and and just somehow they all knew they all dropped out and he finished with a with this great great ending here's the deal there's somebody around you that is not singing they've gone quiet they're silent they're burned out they're discouraged And somebody needs to sing with them. There's nothing worse than thinking that you're just singing alone and it's not going well. Who are the people around you that are struggling right now? Somebody needs some affirmation. Somebody needs somebody to sit with them and say, hey, hey, for the next six weeks, let's have have coffee like at 3 o'clock on Tuesday and let's just talk about your life because I'm with you, man. Let's just process through that. I had a friend stop me today in the hallway just before the service started and said, I'm struggling with stuff and I've called some folks and it doesn't seem like we're connecting. Is that God saying I should solve this on my own? And I said, I don't think so. Oh, you may have to come to some solutions on your own, but you've got to process it through the, through the body. So you see, you just can't show up here on Sunday morning and say, I did my deal. Your deal is not done. Your deal is to find out the people around you that need to be singing that aren't and help them begin to sing again if we're going to speak the language of those waiting for Jesus' return. There are some people who are struggling to speak this new language that's happening in in Thessalonica. They they became discouraged, and and they were stopping this whole language because because of the persecution. It was so intense. And some could not give up up the habits that they'd had all that time in that culture, and and they they were struggling with it. Some just said it's too hard. So Paul says, here's what I want you to do. I want the strong to help the weak. You just, you've got to do this. The strong got to help the weak. The strong are made to help the weak. Those who know Jesus well need to be with those who don't know Jesus well in the circumstance they face. And so unfortunately what we do, we, we gather together and put the strong over here and say to the weak, oh, come join us. So it's got to be this way. Jim Robbins, can I borrow you? Come over here. So if, if Jim is weak, we can't say, okay, you stay over here with the weak people, and us strong folks over here are going to say, hey, when you can make it, come over and join us. We can't get to strong. 
If you're a marathon runner and you're running with somebody that can go 100 yards, you don't go 26 and say, catch me. You've got to run their pace to increase their ability. So I've got to go to Jim and say, hey, Jim, let's walk this together. So Jim and I walk this together until we get over here and where we're strong. But now we don't stop here and say, hey, strong people, what a fraternal order. We're great. Look at those weak people over there. Instead, Jim and I turn around and we both go find somebody who's weak and we pull them to the strength. You can go sit down. Thank you, Mr. Strongman. We both do that and then those people go find other people who are weak and that is the process. Who are you helping who's weak right now? You say, I'm weak. Then somebody strong needs to help walk you through this. That is God's desire. Paul says, let the weak help the strong and be patient doing it. So I'm going to say to you that if you feel weak in your faith... We have people who will do this for you. We have an alpha group that will teach you your faith, what Jesus wants you to do. We have small groups that will gather around you. We have mentorship. Just call the office and say, I just need help walking. And some of you, if you get a call from Pastor Jason that says, i got somebody who's dealing with an issue, you can't say, I don't have time. Because if you're speaking the language of those waiting for Jesus, you've got time. Something else may need to give way. You may have to give up your bowling league to spend time with someone who needs to make it in their relationship with Jesus. Yeah, really? Yeah, because sometimes there's sacrifice. You got to do that. Paul then says this, expend all our energy to be kind. There is no line crossed where we can strike back, no matter how abusive the other person has been. Oh, these people have had horrible persecution. And Paul's saying, you can't strike back. In fact, the welfare of the offended, or the offender, the welfare of the offender is the focus, the prime objective. How can I help the person who has offended me? And Paul says, you've got to run after that attitude. But you say, that just sounds tough. Well, it is because it's not natural yet. But when we begin this process, we will learn the language and it will become, it will become natural to us. You say, it just seems so difficult. Well, it's like learning the language. You're trying to, to figure out what it means. But if you start the process, if you follow the rules, he said, in learning the language, it will become natural. Because when it's not natural, and I go back to our friend Joey, when it's not natural, you just cannot fake it. Watch this. Now count from one to five. Un, deux, trois, quatre, cinq. Eh, blue, blah, flu, flank. Good job. Thank you. Hey, hey, Joey. Listen, I feel really badly about yesterday, and I thought about it a lot. No, I was too impatient. So uh, let's try it again. Oh, no, that's okay. I don't, I don't need your help. I worked on it myself, and I got to say, I am pretty good. <laughs> really? Can I hear some of it? Sure, sure. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> blé de la blé de blue blah blé. <laughs> See? <laughs> you're not... You're not... You're, again, you're, you're not... Speaking! 
Oh, well, I think I am, yeah, and I think I'm definitely going to get the part. How could you possibly think that? For one thing, the guy on the tape said I was doing a good job. <laughs> See? You can't fake that. So you can walk out of here and say, I'm a follower of Jesus, but if you're not speaking the language, people are going to say, you're faking it. Yeah, but the guy on TV said that if I do these things, that I'm a follower. No, 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 no. Here are the language rules, and if you're not speaking as Jesus said to speak, and Paul reiterated, you're not speaking the language. So I want to show you as I conclude our time this morning, what happens when Jesus in a caring community like this love a discouraged leader and a friend in the community of faith. Many of you know, several years ago, Pastor Terry Bryant and Pam, we have a picture, I think, of them. <laughs> That's the only one we could find. <laughs> Don't tell them. A couple weeks ago, or, several, or a month or so ago, I told you that Terry had been diagnosed with a, a rare form of cancer in his leg. And uh, it was fast-growing. And he was going to begin some radiation treatments. You all said, well, can, can we encourage him? Can we, can we do stuff? What can we do? And so you started communicating with him. And so I just want to read you portions of two emails. This first one says this. Hi, Jack, though I've have always been somewhat of a private person with my life, I'd be fine. It would be fine with me for you to share some of our story with the church. I have told the Lord more important than what happens to me is the fact that he receives glory from my life and people are encouraged. Many from Erie First have sent cards or emails expressing their prayers and we appreciate that more than they know. Please give them our sincere thanks. It is with that context that I read this first because I want you to know what happens when the body functions in the language God gave it. Good morning, Jack. I wanted to send you an update on what's been going on in our lives, especially in the light of your prayers on our behalf. Last Thursday, July 29th, I finished my five weeks of radiation, and I'm glad that it's over. In all honesty, though, I cannot even begin to complain about the length of treatment, the side effects or how far we've traveled each day to Moffat Hospital because we haven't gone very far, as he's insinuating. I'm so blessed. I've encountered so many people who are facing a much more negative prognosis and many who are undergoing a far more severe level of treatment with terrible side effects. People who've had to travel so far, they must stay the week in Tampa and, not, and only go back home on the weekends. And as you look in their faces, you realize each person has a story to tell, and I feel so sorry for so many of them. I used to wonder why so many people, well, well-known people who have suffered with a particular health issue later become voices to champion the cause for a cure of that issue they struggled with. And now I realize that once you've walked a road with someone, you become connected in a way that makes it feel like it's part of you. So Pam has been coming to treatment with me every day, and we have personally met a few people who have been able to pray, we've been able to pray with, and that always seemed, they always seem so thankful for prayer. What would we do without the privilege? So now the real reason for why I'm emailing you. Thursday, July 22nd, we experienced a true miracle of gigantic proportions. It so blew us away that as we prayed to the Lord, it was hard to find adequate words to express what was in our hearts. As you know, we have no health insurance. Because we've always enjoyed good health, we decided to drop our huge health insurance premium and live in faith until we were employed again. A month after that, I discovered the mass in my right leg. We have pursued, pursued several options of financial assistance, including the Moffitt Hospital. 
In time, they told me verbally that the hospital would work on a 70-30% split with me. They would cover 70% of my eventual bill, and I'd be responsible for 30%. We were very thankful for that, but Brianne, our daughter, had informed us that could still be in the neighborhood of sixty dollars to $100,000 on our part. Well, we've been praying that God, for God to somehow supply our needs when the time came. And I've been trying to get the hospital to put in writing what they were offering us without much success. On the way over to Tampa for treatment that day, we received a call from the business office stating that they had decided to write off the entire bill and that we would not be responsible for any of it. And... And then in caps with a lot of exclamation points, he writes hallelujah, which means hallel yah, meaning praise Jehovah. Pam was in tears. And while I was in treatment, she went over to talk with the lady who had called from the business office, and she verified it and gave us a letter stating their intent. And she and Pam had a chance to pray together. What that means is this. By coming to St. Petersburg a few months ago, we not only put ourselves in very close proximity to one of the leading sarcoma specialist hospitals in the country, but now those experts have agreed to treat me for free. Only the Lord could have orchestrated something like that. I'm sure I could not have. We have been so blessed beyond anything we could have imagined. So one of the many lessons we are learning is this. And this is a leader speaking back now to the community. Whatever you are facing... Even when it may seem heaven is quiet and unresponsive. God is working in ways that would blow us away if we knew everything that is going on. If we will completely trust in Him and commit our ways to Him, may He continue to bless, if we would continue to trust Him and commit our ways to Him. And He says, may He continue to bless you and Pam and the staff at Erie as well as the church. Thank you so much for, for your prayers, Terry and Pam. That's what happens when the body speaks the language God gave it to speak. So this morning, let us speak as a community of faith. Would you stand? I'm going to ask our elders and their spouses to come and just plant themselves across the front of this church, this church building. staff also that are available and some of our intercessors, you that are available. And here's what we're going to do. In just a moment, I'm going to pray a blessing on you. But before we do that, I want to invite you that if you need prayer, you need someone to speak into your life, you need the, the community to speak as they have spoken into Terry's life. You're struggling with issues. You're struggling with health. You're struggling with dollars. You're struggling with your faith. You want to know more about a relationship with God through Jesus Christ then I'm going to invite you to come and these folks are going to stand, spend some time down here and Rick's going to keep worshiping God through the piano and we're going to invite you to come and just be prayed for. And if you just want to pray without someone praying with you, that, then you can do that, but I encourage you to let the community speak into your life. That's what we're here for. And so now, may you today uncover the language God has given you to speak through your love through your caring, even through your loving confrontation. 
may you now grab hold of the accountability for the family of God that is yours. And may we draw closer together in peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, as you go, please do it reverently.